You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Some terms naturally go together, like Colorado Parks and Wildlife and world-class fishing. Few would ever add to that list the term Superfund Sites. That's because Colorado Parks and Wildlife's 42 parks are recreational meccas. Its 350 wildlife areas boast some of the finest wildlife and aquatic habitat in the state, and even in the country. But they weren't always so pristine. In fact, CPW's aquatic biologists and research scientists have played a key role in transforming rivers and wetlands dangerously polluted by decades of mining and milling into prime fishing habitat by restoring the waterways to their historic unspoiled conditions. We're talking super fun sites, gold mining to gold metal water, today on Colorado Outdoors. You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. The podcast is powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. GOCO invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife, rivers, and open spaces. Its independent board awards competitive grants to local governments and land trusts and makes investments through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Created when voters approved a constitutional amendment back in 1992, GOCO has committed more than $1.2 billion in lottery proceeds to more than 5,200 projects in all 64 counties without any tax dollar support. Now we're talking gold mining to gold metal waters and super fun sites today on Colorado Outdoors. Joining us now is Eric Richer. He's an aquatic research scientist and hydrologist. Eric, thanks for joining us here on Colorado Outdoors. To start with, just the term super fun sites. Maybe our listeners don't exactly know what that is. Give us a quick uh, idea of what that means and how, maybe how those uh, sites are identified. Yeah, so typically a super fun site is associated with lands or waters that have been so badly polluted that the federal authorities have intervened and declared them as you know, one of the most contaminated places in the United States. So these sites are typically associated with um, paper mills, chemical plants, landfills, and mines, um, among other sources of water quality pollution or other sources of pollution. So in Colorado, a lot of our mine or a lot of the uh, Superfund sites are associated with mines. Um, I think there's been over 200 Superfund sites in Colorado since Congress established the Superfund Act in 1980. Um, and of those 200 sites, I believe only 24 remain on the list today. So, and you briefly touched on this, but just for clarity's sake, so when a Superfund site is identified, is that something that CPW is doing? Is that is that EPA work, or where does that come from? That's simply coming from the feds, you know, um, and so it, it, often the EPA has authority over the Superfund sites, but there's typically coordination with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as well. So let's kind of specifically get down to an area that you've worked on, the Upper Arkansas River. Uh, and, and, you know, what you found there, what that project's been like, and just give a bit, bit of history in terms of what your involvement has been and, and maybe on that project uh, specifically. Yeah, there's, a, there's some interesting history there in the upper Arkansas headwaters. You know, 
Um, the degradation of, of that site really began in 1859 when gold was discovered in California Gulch. And so that gold was extracted with placer mining techniques, you know, starting with sluices and, and gold panning and leading into hydraulic mining. So, you know, a tremendous amount of disturbance to the stream bed and riparian areas. Um, now, the gold boom only lasted for five or so, five or so years in Leadville, and then um, silver was discovered. And so the, the silver extraction was a little different. They used hard rock mining techniques, so they would have to dig mine shafts, and they would follow the veins of silver down into the ground and extract those. And so as they went deeper and deeper um, in these mine shafts, they started to interact with groundwater. And so that groundwater became contaminated, and, and um, it was contaminated. But to manage it from a mining perspective, they had to dig, dig drainage tunnels. And so those drainage tunnels created point sources of, of water pollution, of you know metal acid mine drainage coming out and contaminating the stream downstream. So the, the combination of the point sources from the, the drainage tunnels, in addition to all that disturbance from the placer mining, which mobilized all this sediment and contaminated waste piles that were transported downstream from California Gulch into the Arkansas River and deposited on the banks in the riparian areas. So all that pollution, you know, had um, direct and indirect impacts on the natural resources, not just it, it affected aquatic insects, affected the fish, it also affected the riparian vegetation and the birds. Mm. Um, the local ranchers were using that water to irrigate their hay pastures. And so over time, the metals accumulated in those, those riparian hay pastures as well, and it got to the point there was actually, um, they were having effects on the cattle. And so there was a local rancher, Doc Smith, um, that really started, um, was kind of the impetus for, you know, investigating this pollution. Um, another big cause of pollution up there was, not only the extraction of the metals, but the processing. There were a number of smelters in the Leadville area, and so there was air pollution that led to acid rain and, you know, additional sources of contamination. So to clean that area up, the EPA came in, and they put water treatment facilities on those mine drainage tunnels to address those point sources of pollution. And they also came in and remediated those contaminated meadows there was also what referred to as fluvial tailing deposits. So these are mine tailings that were transported downstream, and they contaminated the banks of the river so that no vegetation could grow. And without that vegetation, the, the channel became unstable, and it started eroding, and it became really wide, and there was a real lack of pools for overwinter habitat. And so there was this habitat degradation um, associated with both those direct and indirect effects. And then in addition to the pollution, there was also a tremendous amount of pressure put on the fishery from the need to feed those miners. Sure. The population of Leadville went from, you know, a few hundred people in the early 1870s to, you know, 10,000 by the late 1870s and 30,000 by the 1890s. And so those people needed resources. And so they cut down all the trees. You know, there's, there's, there's my, there, there's, Diary entries from that time when they talk about how this pristine mountain valley was transformed into what appeared to be a gopher colony with, you know, a sea of stumps where all the trees had been cut down. So mm. without that vegetation, increased erosion um, and more issues with, you know, habitat degradation associated with all that disturbance. Um, unfortunately, there was so much pressure put on the fishery 
um, not only to, to feed those miners, but from the water quality issues, that the native fish of the Arkansas River headwaters, the yellowfin cutthroat trout, is now believed to be extinct. And so of the six lineages of cutthroat trout that are native to Colorado, the yellowfin is the only one that we cannot find on the landscape today. Wow. And I think that's just really a testament to the degree of disturbance um, and pressure that was put on the Arkansas headwaters during those boom days of gold and silver mining. And it really points to the need for stewardship, you know, to, to help manage these natural resources so that we can conserve them for future generations. Eric, what, what you're talking about, that, that history is a great illustration as to the delicate nature of this system that we're involved with, isn't it? I mean, it, it was stunning to sit and listen to that history you laid out about how this activity affected that aspect of it, that activity affected another, and it just trickles all the way down and affected, uh, you know, Mother Nature, if you will, on about 100 different levels. It really is stunning and I think educational for everybody when you kind of hear that kind of history, isn't it? I believe so, yeah, I definitely, um, I mean, and when we approach restoration, I think it's really important as practitioners is we need to understand, you know, what was this system, you know, prior to the disturbance? What did it look like? How did it function? What was the biology? What was the, the, the physical aspect, the habitat? What did it look like? I mean, the many of our headwater valleys were likely wall-to-wall covered with willows and beaver complexes back in the day. So, you know, the removal of beaver was actually probably a disturbance that occurred prior to the mining or in addition to. And so that was another element, you know, that's led to the alteration of these headwater streams. And in the case of the Arkansas River, you know, this loss of the yellowfin cutthroat trout. So when we approach restoration, it's like, well, we can't restore that biology. But the objective of, you know, once they had the Superfund designation, that opened the door for federal funding, or, well, not just federal funding, but a settlement through the, um, the proprietors of those mines to, you know, restore those natural resources through the Comprehensive Environmental Response and Liability Act. So there was a natural resource damage assessment that led to an over $20 million settlement mm-hmm. that was used for restoration and remediation of those natural resources that were directly supposed to benefit the public. So although we can't restore the yellowfin cutthroat trout, we now have, you know, we've been working to improve that fishery. With um, It's a brown trout fishery now. They're more tolerant to um, level certain degrees of metal pollution. So that disturbance is so severe that there will probably always be some lingering metals pollution coming out of those historic mining areas that we have to kind of manage and deal with. And it really points that, you know, um, really emphasizes the need to continue to monitor these areas. You know, we have seen, um, you know, untreated pockets of pollution that were released, like through a breach of a tailings pond. And they're more localized than what we were dealing with historically on the Arkansas River. But we do have monitoring sites where we've seen a fishery that was much improved to historic levels and then impacted by a recent breach of a, a mine tailings pond. And now that's not supporting hardly any fish at all. So, um, you know, it, it just really, I think, points to the need for that stewardship um, and monitoring and evaluation to make sure that the gains that we've made aren't lost. 
Eric, what you're talking about seems like a massive undertaking. I mean, just the, the magnitude of the amount of river we're talking about and then all the tributaries and, you know, the uh, some of the shafts you're talking about uh, that, that were done during the mining period. I, help us understand the process, the, the remediation work that goes on, you know, kind of in the broad strokes, just so people can understand exactly what you folks have been working on. Yeah, so the California Gulf Superfund site was added to the national priorities list in 1983. Um, EPA began remediation in the late 80s, um, really focused on putting water treatment facilities on those mine drainage tunnels. That was done in the early 90s. And then in the late 90s into the 2000s, they went in to remediate those non-point sources of pollution, those fluvial tailing deposits that had been, you know, deposited along the banks of the river that were affecting that riparian vegetation and in turn affecting the habitat within the channel. Um, And so kind of concurrently to that was that natural resource damage assessment that led to that settlement. Um, And so in 2010, the environmental assessment came out, and that identified, you know, three tiers of restoration projects. And so we've been working through those those tiers, you know, starting with the Tier 1, which included, you know, the in-stream habitat restoration, but also addressing some other sources of pollution, remediating those hay meadows. So it's been a massive um, collaboration, you know, with the EPA, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, um, Lake County Conservation District, local landowners, ranchers, private landowners. Um, so, it, but it, it is amazing to me that you know this project has spanned people's entire careers. You know, and so um, it's cool. To, it, it's interesting to see that kind of the next generation kind of pick up that torch, if you will, and continue to move forward. And, you know, the designation of more than 100 miles to Arkansas River as gold medal trout water in 2014 was real a testament to, to all those efforts. And um, that was before we had really completed the restoration piece uh, for the in-stream habitat. And so we've been monitoring post-restoration, and we've seen um, a further improvement in the fishery following that stream restoration. In particular, we're seeing bigger fish. That we've seen fish live longer, um, and so and that's a benefit to our anglers. We've seen a huge boom in the amount of anglers fishing the Arkansas River, and our creel surveys suggest that we're seeing you know millions of dollars in economic impact annually from that increase in angling on the Arkansas River. You know, I've been down there many times as a fly fisher myself, and and, and fished that river, and have always very much enjoyed my time there. What you're describing is a success story. I mean, something that decades ago began is, holy cow, we've got a problem here. We've got to address this. Uh, it's got to be rewarding, I would think, number one. And, and number two, you feel very optimistic about the work that's been done and what continues to be done and what ultimately these fisheries are going to be in the future? I do. The, the, our data suggests that the trajectory of this fishery is positive, you know, to the point that, you know, we are thinking we could be approaching carrying capacity, um, but, you know, I, I think there, there's still room for improvement. You know, there, there's still some things we could do to further improve water quality. But um, the fishery, the aquatic insects, the riparian vegetation, um, the habitat, based on all of our monitoring work, um, it, it, it indicates that those things have all improved. Um, and so historically, you know, prior when, when we were dealing with the, the, the peak of the water quality issues, a fish couldn't live for more than two to three years in the Arkansas River. And we've documented fish living eight to ten years now. Wow. So that's just really, you know, 
indicating that these, you know, canaries in the coal mine, if you will, these fish and aquatic insects and even birds, we were seeing metals being exported um, from that aquatic system into the terrestrial system and even impacting the reproductive success of swallows in the riparian area. So, you know, all of our evidence suggests that this thing has improved greatly, but, you know, what obviously we can't make it pristine, you know, as it once was sure. with the loss of the yellow fins. But, you know, um, from an angling standpoint, from a restoration standpoint, um, things are, are looking very positive on the Arkansas River. Well, like I said, it's a great success story and uh, a project that's uh, worth following. Uh, Eric, we appreciate your time joining us today on Color Outdoors. I appreciate your time, Mark. Thank you. Now we welcome to the podcast Paul Fouts, Senior Aquatic Biologist, Southeast Region for the Arkansas River Basin, as we're talking about Superfund sites and the long-term project down there in the Arkansas River. Well, welcome to the uh, podcast here. Uh, enormous project we've been talking about. We just talked with Eric a little bit, but I want to get your, your thoughts. Let's start out with Superfund sites and how CPW's support for the cleanup of a Superfund site is unique and how that whole process works. Yeah, you bet, Mark. That's a great question, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, you know, CPW's work uh, to deliver our mission is really rooted in kind of scientific expertise, and, and really it's the great scientists and biologists and researchers and, and water quality experts that have played a role in that process over the years. Um, and really the years led to many decades of work. And we had staff and have staff that continue to do that work. Um, but many of our staff began and ended their careers doing that work and really passed the torch of, of that to the next generation of scientists. And so it really is this just many, many decades long work that uh, has taken place out there. So, and it's really kind of, in addition to our capacity to, to collect kind of that long-term fisheries and water quality data, you know, we, we frequently engage and, and we're in the river and in the resource, and I think that gives us kind of a unique understanding of kind of the waterways and, and uh, the watersheds here in Colorado. So, um, you know, our, our scientists and biologists see stuff firsthand um, as far as the pollution and, and the impacts to our watersheds and aquatic resources. Um, and, and the cleanup of those efforts have been the culmination of decades of work, beginning clear back in the 70s when many of our scientists and scientists with EPA and CDPHE were studying water quality issues in the river and trying to address those. And then over the decades, you know, our biologists have put on waders and shouldered electrofishing equipment, waded into the rivers to survey the waters, uh, along with our researchers, and, and that's happened every summer over the decades. Um, so it's that ongoing commitment, I think, that CPW has to the resource that gives us kind of a unique capacity to, to create change, and it's the expertise and scientists that we have here at CPW, from uh, water quality specialists to um, aquatic biologists to people that work with birds and rodents living in the wetlands, and, and really a river corridor like the Arkansas supports just an amazing abundance of wildlife. So. You know, I think you make a, a good point there that needs to be, uh, you know, focused on a little bit. With all the study and all the data that's collected by, by CPW, it's not just like you guys get the, all this information, sits on a shelf someplace collecting dust. When you guys get that stuff, then it leads to action, correct? And, and that's really where kind of the groundwork begins. Absolutely, yeah. It's that action that makes, makes you know, 
gives us the result we're looking for in that restoration. Like, um, you know, we do the collect of the data, and that is a very important part of what we do, but really quantifying the extent of the damages um, and the impacts and, and even kind of understanding how we're trying to restore things and what are the impacts of our restoration. So, you know, our, our agencies observed, like, the great loss, but then also the great success, and we continue to kind of try to quantify that. Um, and in the case of the Arkansas headwaters, you know, we've been, we haven't been able to restore the, the native fish, which is the yellowfin cutthroat trout, due to its apparent extinction, which we're still hopeful to make gains there if we can ever find, you know, uh, yellowfin cutthroat up in the upper drainage. But uh, we were able to create a gold medal uh, brown trout fishery for the enjoyment of anglers, and uh, while on the surface the you know the waters and and uh, everything appear to be recovered, there's still water quality issues, and so we continue to do that work and we continue to monitor the projects and and there's still room for improvement, um, and uh, you know we continue to work to manage our Colorado resource for the generations to come. You know, you just said something that I think is quite fascinating. Uh, you know, we're talking with Eric, and he mentioned the, you know, yellowfin cutthroat trout being extinct. And, and you just said, you know, from a scientist's perspective, you're still hopeful that maybe we can find one someplace. That's an interesting aspect of what, what you guys do in terms of when you're out there analyzing the fisheries and uh, the species in there, that there's always that hope you might stumble upon one and be able to kind of nurse it back to life. Absolutely. I mean, if we can find that genetics... Um, you know, we actually have a, a project that we're initiating beginning this year with uh, the lead biologist up in, in that area and uh, some of our other staff to start really looking in some drainages that we haven't explored before to, uh, you know, look for those yellowfin cutthroat genetics and uh, see if we can find that fish somewhere on the landscape. Well, talk a little bit about the magnitude of this. I, when Eric was talking about it initially, I was just thinking about, you're talking 11 miles of stream and groundwater and tributaries and drainages. and I, I mean, just the overall magnitude of what CPW and the various agencies that have been collaborating along with you folks have been. This has really been an enormous project, you know, in hindsight. Oh, yeah. Decades, decades and decades of work. And you're right. I mean, this project covers 11 miles of stream, but really it's the restoration of that piece of stream and the restoration of the water quality um, that's contributed to the gold medal status of 102 miles of stream below it. Um, you know, so the, the, the reach is, is long. And, uh, you know, that project incorporated a variety of different objectives from stream restoration uh, for recreational fishing, but bank stabilization and channel reconfiguration, um, trying to reconnect floodplains and improve in-stream uh, habitat. Um, and so the project evolved, and, uh, you know, the this, this stream restoration pro project was focused to increase brown trout populations um, for that recreational fishing, but there were other, you know, there were other factors there too, and, it, and that was really possible due to kind of two main reasons, one being the improvement of the water quality in the river in those upper reaches, but then secondarily, and this is part of that story that we haven't talked about probably, is the voluntary flow management program that exists on the Arkansas that was implemented in the 2000s and, and really allowed for the maintenance of lower flows on the, on the river as well during certain times of the year, and that's assisted the fish populations. And, 
even when we saw improvements in the water quality, those high flows in the river limited the recruitment of that fishery, and the brown trout didn't flourish until we were able to uh, maintain those flows. So there's a lot of different pieces to it, and those lower flows protect the younger fish and fry and provide greater feeding opportunities for those fish. So, you know, that allowed for the success of 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 the fishery. So you mentioned the success uh, of this fishery with the brown trout. And I'm wondering about that process, how that happens. How How is it determined that this is going to be a brown trout fishery? Is it the circumstances within the, the river, the water quality, the habitat? Kind of explain how those decisions are made by CPW when you're looking to restore, or restore rather some of these waterways. Yeah, absolutely. It, and, and really a big, big piece of that up there is that, um, you know, brown trout are, are – are just a different fish than like a rainbow trout and and they have a higher tolerance for some of those water quality issues and and so up in that reach you just don't see like even in areas where where we've seen or we've had partners you know try to establish rainbow trout populations up where we still have you know some water quality issues they just don't flourish and so different species oftentimes you know fill a different niche and and uh in this case, you know, where you probably would have had the yellowfin cutthroat in those reaches, uh, that wasn't possible, and, and the brown trout filled that niche. You know, Paul Lashley, when you listen to both you and Eric talk about this project, it, it is a great success story for, for C- CPW and the related agencies that have worked on this for decades upon decades to really restore that great fishery in the Arkansas River, isn't it? It, it really is, and I think the project is just a great example of you know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, boots on the ground, management and conservation work. I think it shows our dedication to management and restoration of our rivers and streams in Colorado. Um, but it's just a great story also to illustrate the importance of stewardship um, of our resources. And, you know, those resources were impacted long ago, and it's taken decades to restore them and, and rehabilitate them. And, and it's really the ongoing management and conservation uh, work that we do to preserve what we have that's so important. And uh, the stewardship and partnership, you know, has to happen with uh, partners like Trout Unlimited and, and federal agencies like the EPA and the Forest Service, CDPHE, and among others that allow, you know, these big restoration projects to happen. Well, I know this, uh, speaking on behalf of all the anglers out there, we're all very glad and very appreciative of all the work that you at CPW have done and the various agencies have been part of this. Hey, Paul, we always appreciate you joining us here on Colorado Outdoors. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much, Mark. And, yeah, this is the kind of work that makes so many of us, like Eric and myself, proud to be a small part of Parks and Wildlife, and, and we appreciate you too. Our thanks to aquatic research scientist and hydrologist Eric Richer and senior aquatic biologist Southeast Region for the Arkansas River Basin, Paul Fouts, for joining us today on Colorado Outdoors. What an amazing story of restoration in the Arkansas River Basin accomplished by CPW in collaboration with various agencies in the local, state, and federal levels, turning a once-contaminated waterway into a healthy and flourishing fishery. Remember, for anything and everything pertaining to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, go to our website at cpw.state.co.us. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Outdoors, powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Until next time, get out and enjoy the great outdoors in our beautiful state of Colorado. 
Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a nationally recognized leader in conservation, outdoor recreation, and wildlife management. The agency manages 42 state parks, 960 plus species of wildlife in Colorado, more than 350 state wildlife areas, and a host of recreational programs from hunting and fishing to the state's trails program, boat registration, snowmobiles, off-highway vehicles, and more. All of its management is in perpetuity for the enjoyment of Coloradans and its visitors.